and welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. I'm Inga Story, and with me is Kieran Swan. In this episode, we're joined by Michael Pigeon. Michael is a long-standing member of the Green Party and was elected to Dublin City Council in the 2019 local elections for the southwest inner city local electoral area. He is chair of the City's Environment and Climate Policy Committee and leader of the Green Party Group on Dublin City Council. Michael is also the creator of the Irish Election Manifesto Archive site, which hosts manifestos from Irish parties going back to the 1950s. We'll be talking first to Michael about his experience as an activist and then councillor with the Green Party, through electoral losses after the first period in government to the recent resurgence in the 2019 local elections and 2020 general election. We'll also discuss the Irish Election Manifesto Archive project and the role of party manifestos and how they've changed over time. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe. You can visit the Irish Left Archive at leftarchive.ie and if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us via the website or on Twitter at IE Left Archive. So thanks again to Michael for joining us and thank you for listening. Michael, thank you very much for talking to us today. Um, can we start by asking you to give us a little bit of uh, background about how you got involved in politics and particularly with the Green Party? Yeah, uh, I, I think some people have very kind of inspiring stories about that sort of thing. I started off in um, probably a, <laughs> a very uninspiring way that I was just, I was just always someone who kind of hate this phrase but was like interested mm. um and it's really telling if you, if you ever see I, I saw a young Fine Gael recruitment video and they're all just a series of people ending in Leo Varadkar saying I've just been interested in politics um <laughs> and, and I was I was that for a while and then but that doesn't take you anywhere in terms of actual having politics and mm. that for me kind of changed um probably when I was in college I think I just kind of got drawn into um you know, a, a, a lot of kind of campus campaign type stuff. Um, and eventually I, <clears throat> I ended up moving to the Greens, largely for, for fairly small reasons, I think, at the time, uh, was was around transport stuff. And, and also at the time, they were the only party that were um, supporting marriage equality, which now doesn't seem like, I guess, such a big thing. But it was just, it was just like the big thing at the time for, um, for, a, lot, for a lot of kind of, rights issues for just just basically my friends and I kind of came into it that way and through the party I think kind of opened up to a lot more stuff um, and I guess the older I've gotten as well the more a friend of mine put it well uh, he was saying the older you get he was getting he was getting more left wing but also more pragmatic about how to do it in kind of a smash and grab way you know mm-hmm. and uh, so so yeah I, I, I guess I kind of yeah it was really kind of a party approach that took me in so I was, I, I was drawn in through, through through the greens and um I've always kind of liked where they are in particular on, on like stuff like tax and things where I think it's really really important and uh kind of near-term way to bring about a lot of uh to bring about a lot of change can, can be through the tax system and I think a lot of people run away from that and uh, I remember in 2006 I think which is when I joined the green party well the election would have been 2007 you know that was the time when everyone was just talking about tax cuts, like Labour, like, like Fianna Fáil Fine Gael, obviously, but, but everyone was talking about it and the Greens were like, actually, no, we're, we're going to bring in a bank levy and, you know, uh, we think actually maybe income tax should stay where it is and stuff. I don't know. For me, I just, I, I, I kind of like that because it's not, it's not exactly a long distance vision or anything like that, but it is something that's uh, in the short and medium term seems to me that, that the way in which we tax, which is just a form of like, wealth and income distribution uh, is one of the most important things we face. So it's not really necessarily an environmental thing, oddly enough, to be in the Greens for me. It's more 
economic. So it sounds like you are coming from more particular pragmatics of particular policies rather than this is my ideology and therefore this party fits it initially. Is that fair it, to say initially? That? Yeah, initially, yeah. And then I, I don't know, I, like I lived abroad. I was in Vietnam for a year. Uh, didn't come away as a big Vietnamese Communist Party supporter, oddly enough. Um, but I was in Brussels for a few years and then uh, London where I was working in the trade union movement. And yeah, I just, I feel it, it doesn't, and, and sometimes it's the trouble with the Greens that it can be a bit uh, amorphous or difficult to say where, where they fit. Um, but for me, I'm fairly comfortable as kind of like a social democrat type worldview. Mm. Um, tax and spend would be the pejorative <laughs> term for it, I guess. Yeah. And uh, Mixed in, obviously, with an ecological focus and uh, cert- c- certain uh, peculiarities that come with with the green movement, but um, but it's it, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of an area that I find sometimes doesn't doesn't have uh, labels as clearly, which which has upsides and downsides. But uh, for me, is reasonably clear in, in terms of what we are. And I know there's there's always that question of like, are the Greens? Do you, do you see them as a left party? And uh, I kind of roll my eyes a bit at the question, but 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 at the same time, I do. Um, just just because on the basis that I think it's fundamentally a party that sees a greater role for the state, perhaps not as much as as, as some might hope, but it's one that, um, yeah. Yeah, so you see it's in a centre-left position, at least. In, in, yeah, in, yeah. In, yeah, okay, that's like there are, there are some people who've had this thing about, like, the Greens are neither left nor right, mm. and uh, Eamon Ryan says that, and I, I just don't, I don't really buy it, to be honest. Uh, I, th- I think that's rooted very much in kind of like a tradition of, like, the German Greens, where it was kind of an east-west thing and the greens were trying to do something a bit different out of the 68 generation or all that mm. but i think in, in in practice like if you look around at say you know in terms of where national uh, natural agreements tend to form i think i think it tends to be yeah with with kind of the left of labor the the social democrat tradition and, and, and the social democrats party i guess in ireland i think mm. that's broadly where the greens fall on a lot of things mm. that's interesting because we're yeah. saying there's that red-green thing, which is, of course, much further to the left as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know if that's encompassed inside the GP as it stands today, or or ever has been, in a sense. Although some people I know yeah. would say that it has, actually. Um, yeah, there's always been that. On, and yeah, yeah. So yeah. your involvement was party member, and then where'd it go from there? Yeah, well, I've just, I've just, I don't know, I've always been... It's, it's the bug. I've never, I've never quite quit it, you know? So even living abroad, I would do, you know, I'd be designing leaflets and things in, in a basement flat in London when the party had no money and stuff. Mm. Um, for the Irish and, part, you were designing for the Irish party while you were in London? Uh, well, like help, helping out, yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, certainly, certainly helping out, yeah. And um, yeah, I, like, I, I think a lot of us left your, during the crash, but still remained active, you know, um, mm. wherever, wherever we went. And yeah, uh, so kind of just just continuously been involved, I guess. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's... Yeah, well, well, yeah it's interesting because, yeah. But I was going to say, like, psychologically then, did the defeat in... I mean, obviously the party went into government in 2007 and then it leaves yeah. in 2011 under a sort of... In a context where... I mean, by the way, were you pro-entering government in 2007 and how did you then feel about the situation in 2011 once there was that... Yeah particularly difficult i guess is one way to put it uh, but you know the loss of all the tds basically and then the no exactly yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and that changed things so much and, and actually one of the things aside from losing the tds which i don't think anyone had planned for or predicted mm. was getting less than two percent yeah so yeah. you know all, all that money that renew are sure. using for something that that just <laughs> did yeah disappeared you know um 
Yeah, I, I like I, I found going into government in two thousand seven very frustrating because I, I felt like a lot of the, or certainly with hindsight, it felt like a lot of the stuff that, even in a narrow policy sense, not in a broader ideological sense, but like a, a lot of the stuff that that led to the difficulties, like to to the crash, were the kind of things that the Greens have been shiting on about for a while. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like overrides the property sector. Yeah. In two thousand seven. I don't know if you remember that slightly contrived rumble and rattle with John, John Gormley shouting at Michael too. Yeah. That, that was like, the, one of the big parts of that was that uh, the Greens wanted to bring in a bank levy. That's right. To yeah. against bank stability and stuff. And yeah. this was just seen as just like, oh, madness, you know? Yeah. And it was just like, and then a few years later, it's like, oh, the Greens caused the bank crisis. You're like, oh, I mean, yes, fine. But, but also, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It, 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 it just, it, I found that a very, very frustrating experience mm. because it felt like, um, the train that kind of left the station in a lot of ways and a lot of the things that you wanted to see, yeah. not just like the day-to-day spending, but like a lot of the criticisms that the party had around the Fianna Fáil years, um, mm. particularly later on, mm. were borne out. But So it's uh, almost yeah. like it was too late or too soon to enter government in a way. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. yeah. And then in 2000, so obviously you didn't, well, I don't know what, what happened in 2011 was such a massive stress after the other yeah. stress of the crash. What was your sense then of the of where the party was at and your place in it? Because my own sense from knowing people in the GP during that period, it was a time of, you know, like crushing, crushing situation. And yet at the same time, it seemed to pick itself up remarkably rapidly on certain levels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a strange one because I, I think there were a lot of people who kind of assumed the Greens were gone. And I never really bought that. And I think a, a lot of the more, the, the smarter commentators and things got it just, like it, the, the Greens weren't just a party as an organization, which I think probably the PDs were, for example, which could, which could just disappear because I think they are part of a broader, certainly in Europe anyway, like the, it's a definable political movement. And maybe it's not quite as ideologically defined as some parts of the left or God help us, the, the far right, like, but, but it's there. It's definitely a strand mm. and it's pretty consistent. You know, I worked for the European Green Party in Brussels and you see all these European, or all these parties across totally different political contexts would have broadly similar thinking mm. and we're one of the most cohesive in the European Parliament. Aside from, I think there's like a Latvian or Lithuanian Green Party, which is really right wing. But apart from that, uh, it was generally kind of similar sort of stuff, you know, uh, and the criticisms and the upsides of the Green Party you'd have in Ireland, a lot of those apply to other countries as well like you know, I know the Finnish Greens are always accused as only being for the city and you know this sort of thing you know and and um all that sort of thing so so anyway for me that meant that like it was kind of unlikely that the Greens would just disappear because then in a way you, actually we'd be one of the few European countries without uh you know a, a reasonable uh green strand running through its politics yeah. so I always felt it would it would remain but I didn't know would, would would we just be stuck in the kind of the position we're in. Mm. Like 2011 was was tough, and you know membership was down and all that. But it was more kind of two or three years later. You know, it was I think membership fell to below 400 in 2013. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, and you can understand why a lot of people just thought, ah, oh, what's the what's the point? You know, pe- people whose beliefs hadn't changed, mm. people who were still committed to like a a green world view, mm. but. I don't know, you just get tired, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think that happens in a lot of these contexts. Mm-hmm. And then um, then 
building up towards 2016? Like, it's kind of a bit unfair to be asking you all these questions. <laughs> I was away as well. That's the thing. I was yeah, really involved but... and I was on the on these task force and execs. Mm. I was, you know, all this stuff, but like, I was still away. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, so you're away, but aware of like what's going on. And, and was yeah. your sense like, I mean, you said three years later, did you have a sense like then, okay, at some point, the tide is beginning to turn towards the GP. I mean, I knew people in the GP back in 2010 or 11, who if they had a Green Party umbrella, they actually had Green Party umbrellas, which they stopped using on the street because they used to get attacked. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember. By people. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Uh, so obviously, like, there was a point where somehow that sentiment changed and changed very radically and very sharply. Yeah. I, I, I think it's probably the issues and the salience of them. Like, it, it yeah. was, uh, you know, people, f- f- for the criticism of the Greens that sometimes, it, 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 you know, pe- people can't p- put them on a traditional spectrum sometimes, they do kind of know what they're about most of the time, mm. you know? And I think wh- when issues around climate and stuff like that in particular rose up, mm. you know, the party went to. But but I don't think that's what really happened in 2016. You know, we still had... I think it was like 400 members or something, a tiny number in 2016. Yeah. And to return to UTDs then, Mm. and then kind of build up councillors. I I think a lot of that was, the the party was built up in a fairly different way. Mm. Um, Like, like in in 2007, I think, I think a lot of, and and, and the previous election, I think a lot of the TDs were there on kind of an issue basis. Mm. Whereas Eamon Ryan and Catherine Martin in particular built, built those seats through kind of more, traditional organizing and work. Yeah. Constituency grind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And more cats than the name in there, I, I, I'd say, but like, and that had always existed in the Green Party, like Trevor Sargent and all that. He used, mm. used to be great for that sort of thing. But um, I think, I think the base for which the recent growth came about was, was done probably through kind of the, the kind of activism or political organizing that most people are familiar with. So it's kind of yeah. issues being in your face, being regular all the time, you know? And thinking back, as you say, back into the salience of, well, climate change. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But it's just, it's fascinating to me because if you compare and contrast say with Fianna Fáil, which in a sense seemed to have a false dawn in 2016. Yeah. And then in this year, 2020, um, it goes sharply into reverse, but actually 2016 wasn't that great for it. Yeah. And you can almost make an argument that the, the, um, the attitudes towards Fianna Fáil never really, the mindset never changed more broadly towards Fianna Fáil as it has towards the Green Party. So I'm just curious. It's an interesting compare and contrast between those two. And it, we, we might have become so irrelevant <laughs> that we kind of reset. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, total reboot, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I remember tuning into like a live stream because I couldn't make it home of, a, of the party convention. And it was mm. really, you know, it was small. Yeah. I'm an NUJ member and I've been to sparsely attended NUJ yeah. meetings that were better attended. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, you know what I mean? So, I don't know. Yeah. The, the membership obviously taken off considerably in the more recent past. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the local elections uh, literally within the last year. Yeah. Uh, were you confident going into those elections? Um, I, I, I got a sense. I thought we would... The, the area I was in, we've never had a, a green mm. councillor um, and I had moved home, like mm. back to Dublin fairly recently. So I moved home probably about a year before the local elections. Uh, and I thought that like with a lot of work, we could carve out something for sure. Right. And why did, you, uh, why did you go for the, why did you become a candidate? 
Um, I, I, to be honest, I, I kind of thought it was something that I, I had seen. This sounds, this sounds probably a bit worthy or something, but like li- living in Brussels and then particularly in the UK, it was, it, was, it, was, it was just really strange to see how quickly there were a lot of people who didn't really recognize their, their, their own country very quickly anymore. Mm. Um, and these would be people who'd be kind of like soft, liberally types, but also people who'd be kind of, again, people I would have met through the TUC, who'd be kind of very more in the kind of socialist tradition, people who'd be critical of their own country, but at the same time still just thought it was just like a, a place that yeah. had its upsides and downsides. And then watching in particular the UK just go off the deep end and so quickly. And a big part of that was always, I think, having having a sense that there's a political elite out there that is 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 super distant, which is definitely the case in Ireland, definitely. But I think the electoral system and stuff like that lessen the gap probably than than you have in other countries. Um, and I know that like the the left often talk about you know the the elites and that sort of thing, but often that sort of stuff can just be. I think it, it, it's really fertile ground for the right to organise. Just be like. Yeah. You know, they kind of have this message of like these political institutions don't represent you, and they might be right, but but they're but they're not saying what they're going to replace that with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so suddenly your doors kicked in. And you're like, oh, uh, switching legs. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah. So so to be honest, it was motivated by seeing like all the stuff that was happening over Europe, mm. and then seeing that a bit in Brussels, and then but then just living in the UK, mm. you know, um, and just seeing the cruelty, the way that went very quickly. And I was in London, like I was living a fairly protected life and all that. But mm. I remember my partner at the time in the, in the UK, her family were um, Muslims and just, just having the like stuff that had just never happened around like graffiti being sprayed on their, their family home yeah. and stuff. Incredible. Like it just hadn't happened yeah. and was suddenly happening. Yeah. And I just thought, Jesus. So I don't know, maybe, maybe electoral politics is a terrible response to that. Oh, <laughs> I don't know, but it feels like I didn't want to just seed that ground because it feels like a lot of people go, oh, you know, elections don't change anything. And they're probably right. Or, you know, they're not totally right, but not totally wrong either. Mm. Um, and it shouldn't be the totality of politics or whatever, but I just thought it was something that actually I wanted to push on and felt like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what led me to getting, probably stepping up and in, in terms of involvement and uh, running. Yeah. In terms of the campaign itself, um, were you surprised by it or was it... Did it exceed or live down to your expectation? <laughs> it was. Uh, it came just. See, I, I work uh, with the INMO, the Nurses Union, and right. the election kind of started to ramp, really ramp up, just around the time of the nurses' strike. Oh yeah. So yeah. in my head, that is all a blur because work was kind of like eighty, ninety hours a week. You know, you'd be up like to midnight. Yeah. Doing stuff and. Uh, and you'd kind of take a break from work, go out canvassing, shake hands, try not to look completely insane and then walk away, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> and yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I found the campaign really, I was, I, I expected it to be very, very stressful and kind of mm. saw it in terms of hard work and we wanted to knock on, we, we said we said we wanted to knock on half of all the doors in the area. In the end, we did like like 140%. So we actually got around again wow. within a fairly yeah, short time. And yeah. just because we got lots of people coming out canvassing you know and um so yeah so it was, it was i i really enjoyed it in the end um despite it being a very stressful kind of 
on a ceaseless experience. <laughs> and and given, given we were saying like there, the reception, as we know, for Green Party people back in the late, in the early 2000s wasn't great, right, yeah. 2010s wasn't great. What was it like on Dora's steps? I mean, did you get a sense like that, again, the tide had turned there or sentiment had changed? Yeah, or, yeah. And, um, and, but that, that came really close to the election. I think there was a lot of stuff around the climate strikes and stuff right. like that that, mm-hmm. that really came a bit closer. Like, it was always a friendly enough reception, mm. you know? Mm. But, uh, but again, I think that's something that's, that's helpful, that most people love, hate, or somewhere in between. Uh, they know broadly what the Green Party are about-ish, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so you tend to get a fairly, like, oh, not for me. Yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, absolutely, kind of response fairly early on, you know? Yeah. But it wasn't like, I mean, I canvassed in 2011 and... 2010 and all that you know yeah stuff was thrown at us so it was, it was different you know and I, I i don't i don't get the sense that that'll come back but maybe i'll be even as well i think i was saying i was saying to somebody recently and i know a guy who he was around um Barry cooper flynn's people he was an all-time okay. ffer this is and i was talking to him in 2009 and or 2010 actually and i remember him saying that he had never seen such a bad response on the doors as then. No, nothing in his political yeah. life. And he'd been active for 40 or 50 odd years for Fianna Fáil. Right. Just never seen the anger and animosity. So, yeah, it's interesting to me, like, having canvassed myself, you know, and, you know, you never know what's going to turn up at any given doorway. Sure, sure. <laughs> Pushing yeah. for another day. So, um, <laughs> do you feel as well, like, um, in terms of, and I'm trying to get this right in my own head, Extinction Rebellion, um, appears on the scene during yeah. much the same period, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess ha- it would have been. How would that feed into um, the political environments? Do you think that had an impact as well? Or did you see any connection there? Or did you have a sense that, okay, people are making, drawing connections? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it was, it was so clear that, you know, like, I remember there were times when, when the Greens would be doing leaflets and they'd be, obviously climate would be a big thing, but it was like, ah, oh, some, some people questioning whether they want to put it on the leaflets because does it appeal to the voters? Obviously, it's a big focus there. And now everyone had it. Do you know what I mean? And they were engaging with it in, in, in some way. And I think, I think during the lo- local election at the time as well, there was a big uh, kind of anti-carbon tax thing as well. Mm. And I think that to, from what I saw, I think that kind of fell flat a bit. Right. Um, and, but, but I think it was, it was interesting just seeing how much environmental stuff there was um part of that is the area i'm in so it's kind of it's it's the liberties all the way up to inchicore and there's it is just it's it's a lot of hard space and in terms of stuff that the council deal with there's not much green space there's you know it, it's noisy it's kind of you know i've had to close up all my windows here because i did by the chapel as a bypass and all right yeah. you, you wouldn't hear me you know <laughs> um but but yeah it, the thing that I, I really noticed broke through was the school strike. Right. Okay. And uh, in a way that was beyond the media coverage for it, it just seemed to reach through. Mm. And it, it, it felt like, I remember canvassing for either of the referenda. It almost felt like that at times. Like oh. you're knocking on doors and everyone was just raising it for maybe about a week or 10 days. Everyone was raising it. And now obviously you're knocking on the door and you say, hi, I'm with the Green Party and people talk to you about what they perceive as green stuff, you know? Mm. And sometimes people respond as if you're the police. They're like, oh, we love recycling. <laughs> you know, like, don't send David Ryan over, please, please. Yeah. But um, yeah, but it was, that was amazing. The, 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 yeah. the, the push through that that had was massive. But, um, but yeah, I think it was just a realisation that uh, climate was more, more of a thing. Do you think the party was, was aware that it needed to link into that kind of issue salience as an advantage? 
because it was oh, clearly yeah. had become you know it was a very salient issue in the public discourse and yeah. the green party were the i suppose the obvious group to benefit from that right yeah yeah i i think one of the things that that was being made sorry one of the things that that was that was being made clear was and uh when we talk about the manifestos a bit later i can mm. you, you can mm. see that as well is that the party kind of i think was a bit more confident in terms of focusing on the issues that it wanted to yeah you know uh, and sometimes when there's a bit of a drift or after a period in government when just even logistically everyone is wrecked and a bit worn out you can see how that can sometimes drift but at this stage it was a party that it wasn't just like an activist base but it was just a lot of people who kind of knew broadly why they were running and they had everyone had their own reasons but climate was up there at the top mm-hmm. and i don't think i'm sure that was in part a political calculation but i think it was more just because we thought climate was the biggest issue do you know what i mean yeah um and it wasn't I don't, I don't think it was being jumped on because you know polls say it's more of an issue i think it was being jumped on just because we we're just really scared about climate change <laughs> yeah. and would like to change it really you know yeah and sometimes as well with the greens as well like you know you, you kind of feel like you're running on certain issues to raise them almost as well you know mm. uh, and forcing other people to talk about them and compete on that territory but so i don't know then after that, like obviously you become a councillor and remarkably rapidly there's an election. But maybe, yeah. how, have you, how have you, before we get to the election, how did you find, was it a baptism of fire going into the council? How did you find that? And what's your perception of it? Yeah, because we went from being a fairly small party in the council to being the second biggest. Mm. And I think we, had, we just, for some reason, didn't run a candidate in our team. I think it fell through at the last minute. And I think we would have been the largest or yeah. equal, equal equal to Fianna Fáil on that front um, so and then and then of course over in less than a year we had you know one of our councillors stood down for work-life reasons Kieran mm. Cuff was elected to the European Parliament from the start two yeah. come TDs yeah. so you know four out of ten of our group has is gone yeah. um, and Kieran was obviously the most experienced there so so there's been a lot of learning and stuff for sure mm. but um Couple of couple of mistakes, no doubt, but 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 for the most part, uh, it's been. I I've really liked it to be honest. I really enjoyed it, and I feel like sometimes, as 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 weird as local government is, and as toothless as it can be, um, the fact of the election kind of, and and then the green wave and other parties embracing green issues again, kind of gave a bit of license to the more progressive officials mm. to do stuff. Certainly in Dublin, anyway, that um, otherwise they might have felt they couldn't have you know, around transport and green space and that sort of thing. Yeah, so things seem to be cropping up during the pandemic, which surprised me, you know, cycle yeah. lanes and so on and so forth, which, is that cause and effect, do you think, or is it, is it well, not the pandemic, obviously, but I mean, in yeah, terms of... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of a mix, like, I, like there, there, are some, there are some people who want to be like, oh, the green, Green's got this, fair play. And it's like, actually, no, like, a lot of the cycle lanes are going in. I didn't realise, but, you know, we made sure that funding was set aside for those things. Mm. We kind of indicated that political support is there when it's needed. Mm. Um, and just the fact of the election kind of showed a bit of a demand for things. So I think even the people who are broadly anti-cycling now, who, you know, maybe a year or two ago would have been talking exclusively about people breaking red lights and, you know, mm. that sort of thing, that they, they now have to preface every statement with, I, I, I you know, I, I'm very much in favour of this, this, this new hegemonic order and uh, all, all hail walking and cycling. But you know what I mean? Like, like it's kind of like you have to yeah. apologise for their views now. It's weird, which isn't great, actually. You know, they should yeah. be just able to just say what they want. Like, but anyway. 
But I mean, the other side as well is like, and I mean, this is slightly off topic, but with the pandemic, um, the pressure on public transport is so great because of restricted yes. numbers. And the danger now, of course, is you see the numbers of private vehicles going in and out of the Definitely. city. It's just horrific. So cycle lanes have to be easing some of the pressure in that regard. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And off-peak cycling figures are higher than they were a year ago. Really? So you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is That's really interesting. Very not, people aren't out that much, but it's already up a lot. Yeah. And maybe it's too optimistic, but I kind of get the sense there were a lot of people who just kind of looked around and realised it doesn't always have to just be kind of the way it was. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to romanticise like the pandemic that we're still in, because it's obviously a horrible thing. Mm. And we were talking earlier about like some of the people we know who've who faced it but there are still lessons to take from it i think mm. and the, the 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 people kind of sticking around locally the kind of the, the just the calmness that some of it brought there are some bits to hold on to or maybe draw draw points from i think yeah yeah we were talking to Catherine stocker of the social democrats um and she was saying again she was kind of uh, saying what you were saying about like the limitations of local governments and of mm. councils but also saying like you know there's the it seems to be there is scope there to use it for progressive purposes if if there's a willingness to do so, and so that's that's obviously yeah. your impression of it as well. That's yeah, yeah, like it and, and it, it definitely is, it definitely is, and there's a lot of like bullshit that goes with it. To be honest, where you're just kind of back and forth and ego management and all that nonsense. But I guess that's everywhere. But I mean, the, th- the thing to be honest, I struggle with, and I think a lot of people, in particular in the in the uh, urban councils, is just time it's just it's it's not paid to a point where you can realistically like it's it's i sorry i know it's a very special interest pleading thing but like you just you just don't have the time you want to give to it um and by default i think it means a lot of people end up just focusing on casework because that's something that's immediate and and it's it's a bit harder to break out of that and actually have a think about wider ideas about the city or engage with kind of the policy questions for the city or, or build up campaigns and things. So in effect, I think a lot of people end up kind of just, just trying to clear the inbox for five years almost. Yeah. I suspect a lot of TVs are probably in a similar position. As well. and, and would you think that's a structural thing or, I'm obviously structural, but I mean, would you say as well that there's an element of artifice and uh, deliberateness in the sense of having a, you know, I mean, local government's famously underfunded and et cetera, but also structurally in terms of the democratic components, having that, slightly pushed out of the way so the councillors are slight always on the back foot i mean what's your perception of that is that a structural thing or is a structural plus artifice you know it's a convenience or expedient kind of way for it to be set up yeah no like it's it's like it's it's i don't, I don't know if it's intentional but it's certainly it's definitely structural mm-hmm. and it's it, it's certainly the way in which the whole there, there, there's a lot of like I, I find that a lot of the powers that, that are, are given to councillors maybe aren't, aren't particularly well exercised. Mm. And in part, that, ah, this, maybe this is contradictory, but in part that, that that's sometimes a function of how unused to actually making decisions they are. Do you know what I mean? That, that like there's, there's, there's relatively few powers that actually, like well, uh, a friend of mine, Darcy Lonergan joined, uh, it was co-opted on the council, she was like okay i actually want to go through she looked through all the local government acts and stuff and compiled a list of all the powers and and you realize there's kind of like six or seven of relevance aside from the there's a couple of hundred of like uh what is it you know uh, choosing the date of a meeting and choosing the chair and so forth but, yeah. but 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 most of them is just like varying local property tax 
voting on the development plan, which is every five years, six years, I think it's it. Um, you know, so it's kind of, it, it, it's yeah. remarkably limited in that scope. And most of the power you have is more just the, the, the power to nag and hope mm. to get more of a response, you know. Mm. But, uh, and that probably sets up the national parliament in a weird way because yeah. a lot of people kind of come through that model and they think that's what the political system is for. Mm. And mm. I don't know. Yeah, it seems, seems a strange structure. That's and do you feel that, that your constituents' perception of your powers is different from the reality then as well? Or? Yeah, like, like you have some people who really think that you can do nothing, which isn't mm-hmm. entirely true. But I remember there was a call, I think it was my second week, and I was really drowning, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, no idea, you know, who can get onto the council about this? I'm like, you know, info at Dublin City, that I mean? like, I don't know. Um, you know, the basics, you just didn't know. And uh, she was like, no one in your, in your office has gotten back to me. And I was just like, my office? <laughs> like, I'm renting a flat with a friend and I'm sitting at my kitchen table at half 11, just like trying to figure out who in the council deals with this. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I think sometimes some people have an impression that you've got this like West Wing team you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, debating all the issues and like, you know, phones ringing off the hook and... Yeah, where's your CJ, you know? Yeah, exactly. You them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That show is such a pox on any... Anyway, but anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but like, yeah, just the perception, I think that, that, that you know, that, that, that that's out there is huge. Uh, that uh, you've got like this driver and staff and stuff. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just so different from the reality your army or, of overpaid spads or something yeah or like how dare you not know about this and you're like i'm just i'm just some guy who got a bit worried by all the racists being elected and i'd like to see some ba- like tax and bike claims i don't know like <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't I, I don't know about you know and especially in the greens people assume i think like i was in this meeting early on with with some developers and they were talking about oh we'll be doing sustainable urban drainage and they all looked over at me i was like i have no idea what that is like <laughs> Just because it's got the word sustainable, I do now. But like at the start, it's just had mm. the word sustainable. And they were like, and we've got that for you. I was like, I'm not an yeah. engineer. I'm just like, mm. you know, it's very odd. So there's an assumption, I think, that that, that it's one of the great, you know, yeah. Know one of the greatest gifts is being able to say, actually, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. What you're talking <laughs> yeah, about? Exactly. Like, you know, tell me. I mean, because it's yeah. this thing of like, you know, people don't want to actually accept or admit to that lack of knowledge, and it's, it's a curse. It's an absolute curse. Anyway, that's, that's completely. That's how awesome. you know you've you've got comfortable in a job is when you're able to say I don't know rather than pretend you do. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a really good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, you won't be fired. So. That I mean, that's a really interesting insight. I think it's just the mechanics of the uh, the process. Now, obviously, there was a broader political context as well in terms of um, an election that was approaching at a reasonably rapid rate of knots. And and uh, the Green Party results in the locals were. I mean, did you feel they exceeded your expectations? Speaking of expectations, oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Right. And definitely. then did you? I, I like my own personal thing. I thought I'd be scraping in for the last seat. Mm. And you, you topped the poll, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Cancer, yeah. yeah right. like, it was like 23%. I was just like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah. you know, that was yeah. bizarre. Uh, and that wasn't, you know, I, I think the idea that that was, you know, down to the work or a personal vote, like that's 5% of that. Do you know what I mean? Most <laughs> of that was like, it was a party thing. Mm. Um, and that was replicated all over the country, you know? Mm. Um, and there were people who were kind of like running as a service to the party, almost, yeah. you know, who are councillors and 
From there, was your sense then like a corner had been completely turned in terms of then going into the next election? I, I, I didn't think we'd get, like just in terms of the, the, the seats outcome, like the, just the electoral outcome, I didn't think we'd get anywhere near what we did. Right. And I was kind of, I'm always wrong. So it's Ed Miliband, Prime Minister, Brexit didn't happen. You yeah. Know. <laughs> Hillary is such a, oh, the worst part of the Democratic Party. Am I right? As president, you know, all this. Um, you know, uh, remember when that was the worst thing? Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I just assumed that we'd be kind of looking at five or six, but I found it very difficult to say where they were. And then just picking up seats where I just, you know, never thought mm. that, would, that would happen. Um, with great people like Malcolm Noonan in, in, in Kilkenny. Yeah, I was just thinking of him. Who are just, yeah. you know, yeah. great guy and mm. like brilliant councillor and by all accounts, really popular mayor. But I just thought, you know, the, the constituency wasn't there for a Green TD. Mm. I didn't expect that at all. And, yeah. and just on that, I mean, clearly Sinn Féin did incredibly well as well. Sure. Where, so I'm just curious, like, okay, Sinn Féin's doing well, they're doing exceedingly well. Um, people are still holding on on the further left-ish. Uh, you have the Social Democrats doing very well. You have yourselves doing yeah. particularly well. Yeah, where did that vote come from? Uh, I, I, I'd say it varies from place to place. I think mm. there's an assumption that the Greens get their votes from the kind of vote left, transfer left end of things. And mm. certainly in the local elections, I didn't feel that was borne out. Right. Like the party, like I, it, it feels like I, I, I know where the party is, but it electorally often rides two horses mm. in some ways. Um, that you know, we definitely got people who vote green number one and they tend to be quite like focused on tax or transport and environmental issues. And and, and that's kind of a very, you know, a, a core thing. But then there were a lot of like in the local elections, I saw in the general as well, there were a lot of people who were probably like urban liberal, but would vote for kind of a nicer Fine Gael candidate people who gave, gave the Greens a go. But equally, there, there would be a lot of people who maybe would have been Labour um, you know, we're probably competing a lot with the Social Democrat vote on that front. Mm. Um, and that might be totally different outside of Dublin. I don't, mm. I, I, I don't know, to be honest. But um, and, yeah, and I guess that was part of the thing going into government as well was, was part of the calculation is that like, I don't think we were necessarily competing with Sinn Féin for a lot of votes. But if they did run a second candidate in a lot of places, I think we'd just be squeezed out just through the count. Not necessarily that our voters would go away, just that there'd be more use for those Sinn Féin votes in terms of seats. You know, and I'm in Dublin Central. Angus was now you got like something like forty percent of the vote. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He could have run a cat as a running mate. You know. And, <laughs> you know, like it's. Not yeah. Cats, but it's more politicians, but like you know. <laughs> they never saw it. They didn't see it coming, obviously, at the beginning Absolutely. of the campaign. Well, well, well that's it. Like Karina yep. Nidolik, who's a uh, Sinn Féin councillor mm. in, in my ward, is brilliant. But she actually just stood down from the council, which is really, really disappointing. And um, she's great. I'm really popular locally and you knock on doors and people would normally say, oh, I'm voting for this party. They were saying, I'm voting for Karina. Mm. And she came in, she, she, she took the last seat. It was, you know, it was tricky on the, on the, on the day. She had topped the poll in the previous election. Yeah. Mm. And to go from, in less than a year, they went from that in an area that would be Sinn Féin friendly to... Yeah. Incredible. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think you can blame them really for not seeing it coming. I'm sure there's yeah. lots of people in the party who are like, oh, I always said we should have run seven candidates or whatever. But like... Yeah. It wasn't necessarily predictable after those local election results. Like No, definitely not. Well, the, the only takeaway you could take from the locals was Social Democrats have done well, you, yourselves have done well. Um, Sinn Féin kind of done okay, but not brilliantly. 
social democrats yourselves were liable to get more seats there was that was the only real takeaway yeah. how many and then at the beginning of the campaign i remember like in the on um, you know the there, there seemed to be a green surge well there still was a green surge yeah. but then it was supplanted in a sense by the Sinn Féin surge so yeah yes exactly exactly What's your feeling about the Green Party now as its positions, um, both at local and at national level? Do you think like it'll hold on to a good part of that vote come the future? I, I, I suspect the vote will hold on to, I, I think the seats are a bit harder. Hmm. Uh, I might be totally wrong on this, hmm. but I, I haven't seen a big, well, there, there hasn't been polls for whatever they're worth, been a huge dip in, in party support or anything like that. Still, I think kind of six, seven percent, which is, yeah. um, and that could change, of course, you know. Um, but I suspect the seat thing will become trickier, as I said, just because Sinn Féin just weren't using so, so many of their votes. But uh, I guess there's also broader questions of, like, where does the party go? And the classic question of, like, a smaller centre-left party in government, you know, that every single person on the left has hashed over many, yeah. many times in pubs, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, 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 in some ways, I'd, I'd hope that, I, I think if the Greens can deliver on this on a set of core issues, that they can probably do well there, and in a way that's probably harder for Labour or Social Democratic parties because the issues they have to deal with are probably more fundamentally opposed to Fine Gael in terms of like economic stuff. Whereas yeah. I think if the Greens can be delivering, you know, not uh, you know work, working to avoid kind of a return to austerity, but also delivering in kind of the core areas where people elect Greens, probably the vote would hold up, I would have thought. That certainly seems to be the lesson that people in other, in Germany and Finland and so forth, uh, always seem to have, is like, don't try to be on top of everything. Obviously, to an extent, you have to be, and you're responsible for the broader economic policy of the government. But uh, you have to be sure that you're, at, at the very least, delivering in your core areas. That demands four years, doesn't it, of this government? Really? Definitely. Survival, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And a lot of the things are just they won't be done within the government's term, mm. you know? Mm. New public transport projects, um, like the, the, the shift to renewable energy, like, you know, not only is that stuff that probably doesn't win votes as it goes in, but it's also stuff that it just takes a long time, which I think is, is, was part of the impetus of why you have to go in, because it's without that, you know, you're waiting through another electoral cycle, however long that would be. Mm. For what, you know? You know, mm. if, if the changes are being made now, it's like I, I looked at the 2007 Green Manifesto there, and um, before we spoke, and it was talking about three percent emissions reductions each year, and that was a radical and difficult mm. demand. But actually, if that had, if we had started doing that, then <laughs> we wouldn't need to be facing down the kind of the barrel of the stuff we're looking at now. You know, yeah. um, and that was only what 13 years ago. oversee the election manifesto archive do you want to talk a bit about that yeah so it, it was something that started in college uh, i was trying to find uh i was i did uh, arts and ucd and i was trying to along with six million other people in each year i think and uh uh did uh, i was doing an essay on and it was something about i can't remember it was looking back on on manifestos and i just it was one of those things that you never think that they should be centrally held somewhere until you're looking for them and then you realize mm-hmm. this is mad how are these not it's like uh, recently someone was trying to find the replacement list for Mairead McGuinness in the European Parliament, and it's just nowhere. <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> someone had it in a drawer somewhere and took a photo, and that became anyway. Um, so I found that with the manifesto thing. So I started just kind of gathering them together, and then um, you know sometimes uh, there, there was a period where I was just on on, on the dole for a bit and kind of 
wanted a project. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, one, of the, one of the things was, was, was pulling this together. So I started it in college as a fairly, just like a, a, a mismatch of uh, the, the ones I found, but then kind of got into it a bit more uh, as I was leaving. I'd also, just by being over-involved in the Greens, I'd, I kind of messed up my degree and I wanted to do something post-grad. So I'm the kind of nerd who sets up an elections manifesto archive was something that could kind of help uh, mitigate against some quite shitty results. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, there was a practical benefit to it as well. And obviously I do it for the glamour and the women. So obviously, you know, Of course, yeah. <laughs> all that, you know, yeah, yeah. And how much time, I mean, how much time did you devote to it in terms of getting the materials together or... Uh, like, like I said, when, when, I, when I came back from, I was in Vietnam for a little over a year and I came back and there wasn't a job, I didn't have a job and didn't have an immediate prospect of it. And so I was looking around at various different projects. I did wrote something for the Greens on like the public realm in Dublin and, but it was, it was, it was around then, yeah, that I really, really chased it down. So I wrote to all the parties, uh, <laughs> only the Greens let me in, um, <laughs> but um, found like loads of different places. I nicked some from libraries. I just didn't ask UCD and just photocopied them and they haven't complained yet. Yeah. Richard Humphreys, who's now I think a high court judge. Yeah. He had a big box of Labour and PD manifestos in his attic. Make of that what you will. Um, you know, so people have, I think I think you sent me on something, Kieran, as well. One or two things. I think it's maybe WP thing or a DL. That was it, I think, yeah. And um Alan Kinsler, who you've had in the podcast as well. Yeah. He, he obviously gets, gets some stuff sent. Um, so yeah, it just kind of built up from that. And then also, the way, you know, the Internet Archive, the Wayback Machine. Oh, yeah. That was mm. another good source for these things. Yeah. Because people tend to put them up, or parties tend to put them up for the election, and then they, they're gone pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah, they don't yeah. want them having any longevity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no more. Uh, what's your sense of how things have changed over the, uh, the period of the, the archive covers in terms of the engagement with the public? Oh, that's a massive question. Could be here. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, like, the, the, the thing I notice a lot, like, I've got some from the 60s and the 50s, mm. and there's a real change around the 70s from kind of, like, the manifestos were kind of, obviously the writing style and language has changed a lot, but they used to be a lot more just kind of declarative mm. and, like, Fianna Fáil is the party for the small farmer. We will improve the lot of small farmers give more land to small farmers. You know, it's like, mm. it's that. Mm. Whereas, you know, you go to where they are now and they're way more, and this is kind of a failing, isn't it? They're way more technic, technocratic or, yeah. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Um, and they seem to be written solely with the fear of someone being on radio and someone saying, oh, these figures don't add up, you know? Which is a real, like, I, I understand it, like, but it's a real, it's, it's, it's a kind of a disappointing sort of approach, you know? Because it ends up being this kind of, numbers game and preparing almost a, a civil service document. Whereas there's probably something in between, which actually I think um, the democratic left manifestos, the two I have did quite well, mm. which were like, you know, there's a headline that's kind of, you know, a moderated version of like, fuck the bosses. Also, we're going to adjust PRSI by this amount. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it was kind of like, it was, it was a balance of the two. Yeah. Um, whereas now you have manifestos that are a lot longer, um, you know, and programs for government that are like 150 pages and it's, you know i get it but also it's, it's it just feels like do you know those um those quizzes they do before elections like which party should you vote for and i always promote them because they they disproportionately tell people to vote green <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 at the same time they're also kind of they're not that helpful because like policies matter but obviously you know 
what's a 2020 manifesto pre-COVID like? Yeah. Mm. What, what's yeah. the what's the relevance of the numbers like? It's it's actually like who the parties are, what are their priorities, what are the decisions they're going to yeah. make. Mm. If um, if you could, yeah. if when they're coding those uh, quizzes, if they could also kind of code the likelihood of the party emphasizing this if they are given the opportunity to do it that would produce a very different result perhaps you know absolutely absolutely like like one of the things you notice is is like particularly obviously the green manifestos are tediously consistent going back to the 80s they're talking about climate change Mm. and then you look at say the Sinn Féin ones where now they've got like a reasonably good amount of content on say climate Mm. but like I don't think that's I don't think most people most people would accept that's not really a focus for Sinn Féin and that's not something they're going to emphasize in government. And, and that's kind of like, that's okay. That's the party they're aiming at. Mm. But you wouldn't know, like if, mm. if you were kind of, if you didn't know who these parties were, yeah. you just saw, oh, this policy looks good. This policy looks good. But I don't know. They're all going to be in coalitions. They're all going to be making choices. And yeah, yeah it's kind of hard. Manifestos don't really tell you that. Sometimes mm. they do. Sometimes they don't. It, it would be a bit reductive to rely on them alone, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And espe- especially now that they're more technical and people feel they have to have a policy in every area. Mm. You know, like like all the manifestos have like lifelong learning sections, which is obviously really important. Mm. But, you know, uh, looking back at one of the progressive Democrat manifestos when they first started, it was just like getting a grip on the deficit or something. You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, you know what they're about, you know? Yeah. They might have a how to improve IT in schools and IT literacy policy in there. But you know what they're about, you know, at least. Um, So yeah, I don't know. That's kind of lost a bit. I wonder if people's engagement is going to be more with the leaflets and that's where you put the more friendly and personable stuff anyway. Do many people read manifestos? No, exactly, exactly, yeah. And that's why I think they're written very defensively. Yeah, mm. you know? and, and and yet they still put them out. I mean, it's you know, and yeah, yeah. manifesto launch is seen as a great opportunity. You know, today we're launching the manifesto, and they have a little presser and all the rest of it, and away they go. Yeah, I, and I still, I, they're still. I still think they have a like a really good function because I found, <laughs> you know, when we well, in the local election, say we tried to put together this like ruling group, this Dublin agreement thing, mm. Dublin City Council, and actually having a manifesto was really really useful as a basis for some of the policy agreements you want to have and hmm. looking at what some of the other parties have. And obviously you can't, uh, like, uh, as you're saying, you can't totally rely on them, but it is useful to have that kind of basis. And I think that's all, all the more so for national elections where, you know, the aim of a lot of parties is to put together a program for government hmm. and having that document to refer to is helpful because just in practice, people are wrecked, <laughs> you know, they just come out of an election and then suddenly there's like, you know, all this going on. It's like, oh, what, what do we stand for again? Oh, yeah, this, this thing, thank God. Yes. You know? I'm, I'm glad we wrote some of this down. <laughs> yeah. There's so, a lot of very interesting points about it. Like, you've got nice touches, like where you, you click on the head of the leader. Say, I'm looking at the view by party and the Screen Party, oh, yeah. and Scott's, uh, Eamon Ryan, and then before him, John Gormley, and then Trevor Sargent, and then the Green yeah. Party logo. And it's a really, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting way to look at, you know, almost like who are successful leaders, you know? Well, yeah, obviously, yeah. Andy Kenny was enormously successful. And John Bruton's the only one who's kind of come close in a sense. Uh, yeah, Riker, yeah and, and, I guess. and Jerry Adams, like, oh, if, yeah. you look, if you look at it, he kind of breaks the design. <laughs> yeah. He was just like, <laughs> I've got manifestos going back to the 80s, so I've got like 20 manifestos under Jerry Adams' face. Like, the general election ones are the ones that get a lot of focus, but actually, they, 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 t- every party tends to do one for the locals as well. Mm. And it's weird because a lot of the stuff they cover in those manifestos, the content of them, mm. they're not things that local government can do. Mm. They tend to be like national legislation reforms 
relating to like things councils do or how councils yeah. work but none of it none of them seem to have manifestos that are like we're going to raise lpt and we're going to put these things in development plans it's all about like it's the same with the european ones as well it's all about treaty changes and it's more just kind of like a manifesto about europe mm. rather than here's what our meps will do mm. which is kind of i don't know they're weird so everything's national more, i think more of what what, what you would do in the doll about europe rather than exactly what you do in europe yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly there's a trend that you can see in the Roswell though is like going through the various phases of government, I think, as well. So um, if you look at, I think the Labour is, is a good indication of it, like 2011, 2016, and 2020. So yeah. 2011, when they were kind of on the up, their manifesto, just even the title, was like, One Ireland, Jobs, Reform, Fairness, you know? Yeah. That's like, it's clear what they're about. Yeah. It's kind of like a land, peace, bread type thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a workable format, you know? Yeah. Um, and then 2016, when, you know, they're probably just, bit tired <laughs> the manifesto is just called standing up for ireland's future which could be like Anything. the national party to see yeah. like anyone you know generic yeah uh, and then in 2020 it's just called manifesto okay the next one will be a lot more like punchy and have a couple of things that they stand for but you know you've also got the programs for government which you mentioned a moment in there which is interesting yeah. and what what was the idea there? But to be honest, it's just because they tended to be places, sources where I got any of these manifestos. People seem to collect the, the other ones. So mm. I just thought it, it would be worthwhile going along. But mm. often I, I think they're probably the most, even though they're largely based on manifestos, they're probably the most like relevant to people's lives in the sense that they will actually be applied. Like, uh, yeah. like a lot of the election manifestos are kind of like ephemera and they're of interest to people mm. who are into this sort of thing. Mm. Whereas Progress for Government, obviously not, people aren't going oh i'll have to i'll have a read of this but yeah but they do tend to have an impact yeah more of an impact i think on um how things are going to be done and also just holding people to account because again they're very much the kind of thing that are taken down from the website as soon as the government changes or mm. whatever it is so i think it, it, it's helpful in that sense mm. yeah. yeah but, but I, i've got them going i think i've actually got all the programs for government because it goes back to 1989 which i think is one of the first ones. I'm not sure they really did them before then. From a political history perspective as well, having the manifesto and programme for government beside each other for comparison is uh, mm. probably an interesting project that if it hasn't been done, should be by somebody, you know. Yeah. It's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so some people do that. I remember the, there was analysis done of that in 2016 of like, they looked through the programme for government and they looked, it was like political scientists looking at what commitments Labour got in there and then what, what percentage of those commitments was actually quite high the percentage of like mm. the program for government that was actually achieved. Mm. And that seems to be a thing that's reasonably consistent is that a lot of programs for government are actually delivered. Mm. Oh, um, okay. And maybe some of the big ticket items, maybe not. And maybe obviously the, the reality doesn't live up to the rhetoric, but mm. in terms of the actual policies that are put in them, like the civil service do tend to take them mm. okay. And, okay. And, and work on them. And so I think that's what we tried to do a bit with the Dublin agreement, which was obviously in, in, in Dublin city council where mm. we were just trying to, say a bit like well here's broadly what the councils are for just at least to have a political document to present to the executive even mm. if it's we we don't have the power to implement this but like here is at least what we would like to see mm. and you know some of that came with some eye rolling and some of that came with some delivery so i, I think it's always going to be a mix mm. would we tend to put that up on the archive would you no but maybe okay. hmm, i never thought of that just that sort of local government side of things might be yeah because it's just only sorry, I'm preempting a question here. Yeah. Where do you take this next? The thing, well, the thing I, I if 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 I had any time, the thing I'd like to 
do. And the thing I would have done from the start is I wouldn't, I've done it without thinking in a kind of a partitionist way that I wish I hadn't. Because mm. actually the, the, there's a huge amount of material and the kind of the, the, the stuff in the North that I'd love to, love to have included that maybe manifestos aren't as relevant, but um, mm. I don't know. I, I just wish I had, had included that from the start. Mm. Um, and I didn't, and I'm just, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a lot of work <laughs> to start yeah. taking that up, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but if, uh, if I had the time, that's, that, that's, that's the direction I'd like to take it in. But to be honest, I kind of, I don't think I'll do another big site redesign, which I seem to be doing every yeah. time I came home for Christmas and was bored after a few days of living yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, I, I, I suspect the site design will just stay and I just want to make sure I don't, it doesn't get lost or shut down. And so it's all backed up everywhere. So that's really where you're taking next. You're adding more stuff from the north. That's the hope. It, it, again, if people have stuff out there that they want yeah. to send in, please do. The only kind of thing I've ever excluded was people started sending me independent manifestos, mm. which was which was kind of okay. But then the, you, you get into kind of like, well, what's the difference between a long leaflet and a yeah? And sometimes it'd be very very local stuff. So I ended up just kind of I I, I send that over to Alan at Irish yeah. Election Literature because I think yeah. it's more there. Uh, and I tend to focus more on parties or groupings in some form. It's funny, it's this little ecosphere between the um, left archive, yourself, Alan, and stuff kind of passes hither and beyond mm. between us. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure we all get the occasional email every two months from like, hello, I'm a university researcher in Lund, yeah. Sweden, and I'm very grateful for <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ex- I mean, just... explaining. <laughs> I, I, I usually ask Alan and they've already been on to him as well. So oh, really? <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's it's a great project. I mean, it really is, and it kind of uh, yeah, it's it's niche in a really good way. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I kind of just keep it going now. So, and actually, in practice, it's all there. So, you know, yeah. adding in the manifestos over the course of the election, it's probably about forty minutes work, really. So, it's yeah. really require anything, you know. Yeah. And I'm very satisfied mm-hmm. to get people using it and interested and contacting you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I suspect I'll I'll keep that going. Yeah, <laughs> but, you're going to keep it going. That kind of sounds like the story of the Irish left. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that was the Green Party for a while. And yeah, yeah, will be in the future, no doubt. So people, you know. people just keep on keeping on. Listen, yeah. thanks a million for talking with us, Green. Thanks, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thanks a million. Mm-hmm.